select Zach Wilson, quarterback, BYU. going on everybody welcome back to the turn the jets podcast i'm your host will parkinson at willpod 11 on twitter instagram and tiktok joined by a special guest of the pod second time on and um you know had austin on last week you know your co-host mike renner of the tailgate podcast lead draft analyst of pro football focus mike how you doing today i'm doing great thanks for having me back on will and uh, i'm excited man we got to finally uh, kind of hang out in person last month a couple times crushing beers and um What's uh what's your what's the day in the life of Mike Renner right now? How packed is uh how packed is draft season for you? It's not too bad. I, I, it's actually this is probably the busiest time for me, which is weird to say because not much is going on. But just basically crunching everything prior to the f- final draft guide release is a always a, always a grind getting that up, and so basically just grinding through the the lesser prospects, shall we say, the guys that you know, aren't as fun to watch as the top of the class, but you got to do it. You got to find that you got to find the hidden gem some somewhere. And that's, uh, that's where you, that's where you make your money. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's an interesting time of year because the way the, the way the draft is kind of scheduled now, it's like free agency, there's this huge gap and we're in the, the dead space of everyone. Uh, things are leaking like a faucet out of every single organization and um, every prospect. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I kind of had a KT rant earlier this morning about how um, if you can't accept that players in 2022, like their brand politely fuck off, Um, (laughs) you know, it's, that's what, that's what the modern day athlete is. There's no more brand obsessed people in the world other than the Kardashians than LeBron and Tom Brady. And I think they're doing okay for themselves. So um, let's, let's kind of back that stuff off as much as I, love Hutch and I'm incredibly excited for, you know, what the, you know, what you guys have going on with the the podcast series. Like that's pretty, that's a pretty big brand push for Hutch. So yeah, um, let's not uh, get a twist to that. Cause KT wants to build a school and make money. God forbid, um, you know, someone makes money, but I guess we'll start obviously for right now, four and 10 are kind of the main talking points from the Jets perspective, obviously the trade rumors with DK and Tyreek Hill and all these different things. Um, What's your gut feeling at, at four and 10, um, you know, kind of where they go. And if you're, you know, you put your Joe Douglas hat on, like, what would you do with uh, with those picks? My gut feeling is line of scrimmage, honestly. I know Robert Salah loves uh, line of scrimmage, you know, defensive line, edge rusher, even if they have maybe a couple guys, they're signed under contract, you know, fairly sizable contracts, they're still going to invest. In that, so I, I would be floored if they didn't draft at least one pass rusher uh, in this draft at the top of the draft. And then, you know, as much as I would love to get a cornerback and Sauce Gardner, if he's sitting there at ten, how hard that'd be to pass up, and how hard you know one of these wide receivers would be to pass up. Those positions, at least wide receiver, you can find the second round cornerback. You know, he's shown that you can find him later, even than that in the draft. So. I do think that offensive line is the position that doesn't last long. And they had, you know, they hit, they obviously identified a talent, Mekhi Becton, and hit on that. It wouldn't surprise me if they identify another guy in this class they really like and put him over and have your bookends of the future for Zach Wilson with how much they've tried to invest in this offensive line. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting looking at, if you look at that 2020 draft class, if, you know, Becton and Mims hit the way that people, um, you know, people wanted them to in some of the flashes we saw rookie year from specifically Becton. This would be such an easier decision at four and 10. You can easily live with taking 
you know, sauce or Stingley or whoever your cornerback mm-hmm. one is, you, you know, live really easily with just edge and you kind of run the card in because both those positions need top tier starters. You're kind of in a tough situation where you could argue for any of the four most valuable non uh, quarterback positions. The jets can use help at. So um, it's a good thing. They have t- four top 38 picks and, and all that stuff, but um, it is a little frustrating because you look at it and you're like, wow, they could get a premier corner here and really solidify this defense. Or they could get, you know, if Kyle Hamilton really slips to 10. And, mm-hmm. but because there's edge receiver and, uh, you know, potentially offensive line needs, um, you know, we'll see. Where do you kind of sit with the edge class? I know you're finalizing up in the draft guide up on the site. And um, it's likely Hutch is obviously not going to be there. Um, he's either, if he doesn't go one, uh, I would be shocked from what I've heard in Detroit that if he doesn't go two. Um, and then you've got the Trayvon Walker, you know, rot, the stardom rise we've seen, which is a little boggling for me. I know he's not a top 20 player on my board. So, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Um, where do you sit with the edge class? And, you know, in terms of that, you know, kind of four, three attacking scheme, who would fit it best, uh, you know, for the Jets? I honestly think after Aiden Hutchinson came on Thibodeau, I don't see a real top 10 edge in this draft class. That, that to me is it, that those two guys. And honestly, I, I do think Kate Matibbe will be on the board for the Jets at four. So that, that would be you know my pick if I were a Jets fan. That's who I would want. But I, after that, I see a lot of guys who are kind of back end of the first into the top of the second sort of. That's where it's absolutely loaded in this class. There are probably 12 guys that I feel strongly about in that range. And some of them are getting pushed up by athletic testing, whether that be Trayvon Walker, whether that be Jermaine Johnson, whether that be, you know, even like a boy Mafe getting rumored into the first round. Like that's because of what they did not on a football field, right? Because of what they did, you know, at their pro days and at the combine. But I still see the value being in that range and even into the second round where the Jets are going to be picking. Yeah, the guy that's the guy that's like the interesting one from a Jets perspective is Jermaine Johnson. I know, um, you know, close friend of the show, Connor Rogers is very high on Jermaine Johnson. He's a sixth rated player in his board. Um, obviously, we were both down in Mobile. He was, you know, the best. I would say he's probably the best player on the field uh, the first two days of practice, which is great to see because it's you know that's real football. I don't know if you. I think you pointed this out on the show. It's like it's a little different than a pro day or the combine because at least it's you're you're in pads and you're and you're doing stuff. But um, you know, I, I get some of the concerns of. Um, He's an older player, which is fine from an edge perspective talent, but like he's kind of coming in high floor, a little bit lower ceiling than a Thibodeau or, or a Hutch. Um, at 10, I think me and you, this is where me and you, you know, very much agree. And I know for some reason the Drake London stuff with Jets fans just doesn't sit well. I'm not sure why, quite frankly, if you want to comp anyone to Denzel Mims, which we're going to get into in a second, huh. Christian Watson. Um, but, you know, Drake London's my wide receiver one. I know you're very high on Drake London as well, and I'm sure it pains you as a uh, golden domer. But where are you at with the wide receiver rankings? Um, and tell me, I guess you can kind of tell people why you think, why you, you know, value Drake London the way you do. I, I just think the certainty of his game. And you look at bigger wide receivers and, and I'll say this you said one part of my bias that I obviously don't like USC players I went to Notre Dame so I'm obviously gonna be lower on USC players and, I, and I'm lower on guys who have the quote-unquote who can't separate like I, I am I do not like that prototype of the contested catch wide receiver like I, I have not been high on those guys to me you have to be able to separate uh, that is you know a non-negotiable starting point for a wide receiver prospect he does. It's just he doesn't separate down the football field. And, and when he does, guys can make up ground on him. So you're going to have to accept that limitation to his game. 
if you're ever thinking he's going to be, you know, which Jamar Chase was last year, I think you're sorely mistaken. Uh, like he's not that caliber of prospect. He's far more like a Michael Thomas in your offense, which is kind of what the Jets need, honestly. Like they, they got speed in Elijah Moore. Like you have guys that can get vertical down the football field. You don't have a guy who can win a third and six, you know, uh, consistently. And Elijah Moore is great wide receiver. Like I'm not trash on him whatsoever, but you need a guy with catch radius in that spot. You need a guy that can consistently get off the line. And even if he doesn't get off the line cleanly, still win at the catch point. To me, that's Drake London. And the biggest thing with him is, you know, most six foot four wide receivers, they struggle with that. They, they let guys get their hands on him, but not him. I mean, he has that basketball background, the shake in his lower half, the flexibility, like it's all there to beat press coverage. And once that's the case, then he's, it's over. Like he, he has that ability then at the top of his routes to run a full route tree after that point. And he's still only 20 years old, you know, like he's still only been focusing on football full time because he played basketball his freshman year. Then the pandemic hit, he didn't have an off season. And now only this one off season, he turns into this monster with one off season of focusing on football. What is, what are two more off seasons of focusing on football looked like with this guy? So uh, I am very uh, high on, just the the floor on his floor maybe he doesn't justify a top 10 pick from you know a pure tools perspective but for the jets and what they need i think he's the perfect fit yeah no i, I couldn't agree more in terms of as somebody that was a bigger receiver first of all it's never going to look the same as elijah moore or tyree yeah. kill running and i'm not i'm not saying they're like no one's tyree kill right and all that stuff but there's certain guys that when they're when you're five foot eight, like you look like you're moving a lot faster, even if you're not than somebody that's, you know, Calvin Johnson ran a, you know, ran the four twos. He didn't look like he's running four twos. So, um, and I'm not copying Drake London to Calvin Johnson, by the way, before someone freaks out on me. Um, there's a couple of the guys in this, this top end of the receiver class that, you know, I'm, I'm super high on Jamison Williams. Um, I think if the jets were in a different situation, I think you take him at 10 and you don't worry about the ACL. I think with how Zach was last year, um, they need someone that can just going to come in day one of training camp and be able to contribute and build, you know, build chemistry. The other two guys that are, are super interesting, Garrett Wilson's kind of, it's, he was like everyone's wide receiver one for a long time. And now it's like, he gets mocked at four or he's people's wide receiver four. it's very hard. <laughs> he's very in between. And then the one of the guy, me and you are, are very kind of lockstep on this is, I like Christian Watson. I was high on him before the senior bowl. I wrote a full piece on it. I was really excited to watch him. He was really good. He tested fantastic. I still thought he was a second round receiver after the senior bowl. And now it's like, Oh, he's a first round receiver. He's wide receiver two in this class. And like, if you're looking for that Denzel Mims out of college, like ascent from a guy that like you had question marks about, and then he blew up the senior bowl. He kind of feels like that Denzel Mims type of player. And now again, Mims was fine as a rookie, there's a lot of stuff going on that we're not going to hit on. I'm not going to get into on this podcast right now, but yes, there's a lot of reasons why then some Mims is struggling and to not get on the field. But at the same time, um, Wilson and, and Watson are two guys that I feel like is there's a lot of discourse around and it's kind of hard to figure out. It's almost like, it seems like a preference thing at this point. Garrett Wilson from a talent perspective, I think he's the most talented wide receiver in the draft class, but he's just, he's 183 pounds, which is a tough sell by NFL standards. And he's not, you know, 5'10", 183, which was Jalen Waddle coming out and running a 4-3 and like Jalen Waddle's athleticism, which Garrett Wilson's not. I mean, he's 4-3-8, which everyone's combine numbers are kind of inflated this year. To me, he's more like a 4-4s guy on tape. Is 
good athleticism for sure. But like 183 pounds is still a skinny wide receiver and he plays like a skinny wide receiver, which is kind of the other worry. And I think you saw last year with Devonte Smith and sort of, you know, build as this most, you know, incredible pro ready receiver and the most best college receiver of all time, whatever first receiver to win the Heisman, but it didn't look like what Jamar Chase looked like. It didn't look like what Jalen Waddle looked like because he's not that caliber of athlete and he's not that, he's just not that strong and you guys get their hands on him and disrupt timing at the NFL level far more. And so it's just going to show up more at the NFL level. But to me, I, I still think there's untapped physical potential. I think he can get bigger. It's not like a Devonte Smith situation where he just doesn't have the frame. He's still young. He still could improve in that regard. But uh, I just, I worry about that with his game. And if you worry about physicality, I'm just going to be lower on a guy who doesn't necessarily have it yet because they get way, way more physical in the NFL. Like physicality what matters way, way more once you get to the league. Every corner is going to be bigger than him that he's facing. So that's, to me, is the worry with him. Whereas he's wide receiver three on PFS board because like Drake London, you know, the like we just outlined, you know, all of that. I feel good about translating. Jameson Williams, elite, elite speed. You feel good about that translating. Garrett Wilson, and like very, very talented, like I said, but there's just worries about whether some of the stuff will translate. So that's him. And Christian Watson, I thought I was high having him like 75th on the PFF board. I was like, that's a, that felt like high just based off his tape because of, you know, and I was like, Oh, I trust kind of like what he could be the physical abilities there. But then first round, that is insane to me. I mean, he's just, he's one, not near there as a route runner whatsoever. And then two, He's the highest drop, second highest drop like, rate. Please in bring this up. This 12.7% of drop rate is insane. It's, it's insane. And it's not just that. He has a 30% contested catch rate against FCS competition. 30%. Last year, Drake London was over 70%. You know, like against power five corners. Christian Watson should have been just killing dudes at the catch point. He doesn't because his ball tracking is just not that good. And so to have a drop rate that high for the kind of wide receiver he is, which is kind of this big play wide receiver is that's, that's worrisome because you're not going to get that many chances and you blow one in a game and you're just not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to contribute after that. So I, that's why I worry about Christian Watson or, or, or why I would, you know, definitely not be thinking about taking him in the top 10 or even in the first round, honestly. Yeah. I thought he was a, him and Alec Pierce are the two guys that, um, feel like that the combine they kind of both fooled people a little bit mm-hmm. Alec Pierce specifically I think you talked about this I know I definitely talked about this I was really excited to watch Alec Pierce at the senior bowl I was like big body really good athlete obviously we saw him test fantastic but I don't know that I don't I genuinely I'm not bullshitting and don't remember one play he made in any of the team drills not one um, I don't even remember him getting targeted and like yeah. you know I almost like would rather a guy just like suck at the senior bowl but like be in the right spots and it's like oh you know there's a lot of pressure sometimes guys just don't play well he just was irrelevant and there's like he's gonna be the best route runner in the class and all this stuff. I, I just don't see it um you know the only thing with garrett wilson that has been interesting is like there's this kind of debate on does he almost like overdo things in his routes is there almost too much foot fire is there too much herky jerkiness that like it, it's like you're getting open, but it's like, are you wasting time? And um, at what cost? Know, yeah. yeah. Like, at what, like, do you need to do all that? You know, that's something that yeah. can get refined in the NFL. Um, I kind of want to move into like a general kind of draft discourse question in terms of we'll go with round one guys, but or potential round one guys. 
who's maybe a prospect that you're higher on you feel like they can the consensus right now and then who's maybe one guy that is getting is flying up boards um i know jermaine johnson may be a good answer for this one that you're not necessarily quite as you know you don't really get the hype uh i'll say i'm trying to think a guy i'm higher on i'll say Jalen petrie from baylor i I, there's a couple tackles that i'm higher on but i've talked about them a lot in the pre-draft like bernard ryman and charles cross but i'll say Jalen petrie because i think he should be a first round pick truthfully the baylor slot cornerback slash safety but i mean he just played slot cornerback at baylor but I I get why he probably won't go in the first round, and it's because he literally only played slot, and it's like slots, uh, you know, what's he going to be if you want him to actually be a safety in your defense? What's he going to be if you want him to actually do something else is worrisome, but slots like a starter in the NFL, and, and this is the best slot corner prospect I've seen, truthfully, with what he can do around the line of scrimmage, it, whether it's coverage, you know, his breaks on footballs are exceptional, and I've never seen, I mean, since – Antoine Winfield, I've never seen, if you call him a cornerback, I've never seen a cornerback more willing in run support. I mean, this is the best run defending cornerback that I've seen in terms of, I keep going back to this. There was, we talked to uh, the Nevada tight end, Cole Turner at the senior bowl. And he said the hardest guy he had to block all week was Jalen Petrie, a cornerback. The hardest guy. He had to a, be he had fair, a, can, can Cole yeah. Turner block anybody? Cause... Well, that's true. But he, <laughs> but he had to go up against D lineman and he said, he said Jalen Petrie because he can't touch him in the short area. He's just so quick. And to me, I, I think that's almost that's all. I don't want to say it's more important for a slot cornerback, but if you can have a guy like that in your defense, that allows you to match almost any personnel with nickel, you know, so he, he can, you can sit against two tight ends and nickel and still have options and coverage and still win in the run game because of him because he can make plays in the run game still. And so I, I really think it, I would like if he gained a little bit more weight because he still is a little under 200 and in the NFL, that's just like begging to get hurt at that size and safety position with the way he plays. You know, you keep thinking back to like Bob Sanders and how often he got injured doing similar sort of stuff physically. But I do just think that that's a guy I want on my football team. If I was building a defense is Jalen Petrie. Yeah, and no, I'm it's I was high in Petrie. I mentioned this uh, you know, my post kind of senior bowl wrap up. He does a really good job of at at the break point of like it's hard to explain this in an audio form, but like when a receiver kind of gets leverage on a corner or a safety and they kind of like dead even, he doesn't stop his feet. So he's able to come out of break smoothly. Um, he's not someone that kind of like he doesn't he's able to not ever get to zero and you know slow down and be completely at standstill where you kind of get broken in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um he he keeps his foot, his feet in a really good position. That's why he's able yeah. to kind of cover guys. And then yeah, he was hitting people all like he him and Brian Osmo to me were the guys that like they were like, we're in the big 12 and we get rap, you know, a bad rap for defense as we should. We are gonna come and hit people. Um, oh, yeah. even if we're both undersized, where I thought, you know, I'm high on Chad Muma. I did not, I was not super impressed with the way how physical he was um oh no he's he's a run and hit guy he's not take on at all no um trey anderson's a super interesting prospect for me i think he's gonna be a guy that in the right system with the right coaching will be really good in the nfl he's also a guy that has i'm gonna get drafted too high and and bust pretty hard because you know like he just some of these guys are you know it's very you know kind of obvious to tell um one guy i'm not super high on and for some reason keeps getting mocked to the jets at 10 the jets take trevor penning at 10 um, I'm going to be incredibly disappointed in, in the process there. Um, 
I get the physical traits. I understand like Trevor Penning is really like fun to watch. If you, you know, you like physicality, all these different things, 16 personal foul penalties at an FCS level is, is not acceptable um, for a first round guy. And I just don't think he's like, I think with speed rushers, like you've watched at the senior bowl, there was a lot of really good t- stuff. And then there was some t- tape that I'm like, you know, if you could get leverage on him quickly, his outside shoulder, he's not super flexible. Um, I just, I think he plays a little high. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not getting this like top six, top 10 hype that we're seeing from Penning where I think he's more, he would be more of like a late, you know, round one guy. That's kind of where I have him graded at. Yeah. I I'm with you on Penning. That was actually who I was going to highlight for that because I've actually gone back. One of the things that is like, just watch all his negative plays just to see. And they look very similar in how he loses and he doesn't really have an answer to, like you mentioned, the, the, guys getting into his chest and walking him back once once he gets out leveraged he can't regain leverage and he's six foot seven you, you know he's not a he's not a six five you know he's a very tall tackle and very high cut with a lot of his weight honestly being in his upper body at 325 pounds and so if you get underneath that and, and make him have to sink his hips you you win like a, a lot of guys who i did not see as like good bull rushers were walking him back into the pocket at the senior bowl. And that's, that's worrisome. That's like Jason Spriggs esque, honestly. And like how some of those guys who are these physical monsters um, bust out of the NFL is because they have a weakness that then just people know and get exploited every time. And that's what would worry me about Trevor Penning from just what he put on tape. And now can, can you fix that physically? Can that, that's a question that I would you know be asking my training staff and whatnot, but I, I, I've seen enough, guys like that to kind of be wary of that ever getting fixed yeah it's interesting the tackles are just sometimes hard to evaluate um like Mackay Becton's a guy that I just I don't know I watch watching Mackay the last two years the same thing beats him every time like Carl Lawson abused him in in training camp and it's because Carl's a smaller speed rusher that goes speed to power quickly he gets underneath Mackay's pads and he can beat him if you think and Mackay's a far better, like I think, a natural natural yeah. feat than Penning, if that's a concern with Mackay, I don't in this scheme. I'm not sure how you <laughs> you could take the same a similar um, type of type of guy. You hit on Jalen Petrie. I wanted to just quickly hit on the safety class because um, I feel like there's like a group. You know, obviously you're super high on Kyle Hamilton. I think Kyle Hamilton's gonna be a really good player. I don't really care about the testing. I don't. I never thought he was just like unicorn prospect that like was in a test four three. Was his time a little disappointing? Yes, in the 40, but he tested well elsewhere, so I'm not really worried. Um, the Jets need another safety, obviously. They're not going to go into – there's no way they go into training camp with just LaMarcus Joyner. And, and, and I love Jordan Whitehead, um, and Joyner's like a locker room guy. You need – LaMarcus Joyner's going to be here this year and probably not after that. You, you need to draft his replacement. Um, I'd love for them to move up. If Lewis Seen sitting there, Dax Hill, I think those two guys, they would be home run hits at the end of the first round, but – there's that class of him, those two, Brisker, obviously Petrie as well. Um, and then obviously you have Kyle Hamilton, depending on what happens at four and you know how the Jets approach that. But one of, it's one of those, who's your favorite of that group of top of, end of round one, top of, uh, you know, top of the second round safety? Is it seen or is it one of the other, uh, one of the other guys, Brisker, uh, Joseph, all those guys? Well, if you include Petrie in that, I guess he's kind of his own animal off the side there. But a true safeties, truthfully, to me, it depends on, what you want uh jets defense i think lewis Steen's going to be a little bit better i think he's more of a true free safety if you wanted to be the single high guy um 
whereas Brisker seems to me more like more of a too high safety is where like he would be best in like coming down from quarters to help like fill the run from off and stuff like that. I think that's his best fit. But to me, it's one of those two. I, I, I'm, I'd say I'm lower on Daxon Hill than probably the consensus to me. He's a clear tier behind those guys. I see him more in line with like Nick Cross and Brian Cook and that next tier of safeties in this class of guys. It was still like probably late second, early third is where I would take him. So either seen or brisker, like I said, probably seen for the Jets defense. You know, and that's what that's I'm, I'm on the same page, uh, you know, with you there. I think that they're not in a position to wait till round four or five. I think, you know, running back and tight end, maybe it's interesting that I feel like a lot of people were really high in this tight end class early on, like pre senior bowl. And then, and I feel like you were not. And then now all of a sudden it's like no tight ends going in the first 75 picks. And it's yeah. just, it, it's pretty interesting. Like Johnny Woods, like I, I get the physical testing. Like, I just don't understand how you could take some of these guys. Like, I like McBride. McBride ran better than I thought he was going to, although pro day numbers, I'm not going to put too much stock into that. All these guys, like I like Ruckert a lot. He's, you know, he lives 15, he's from 15 minutes from where I live. It's, it's cool, but um, you know, it actually sets up nice for the jets in, in the sense that they don't have to sit there and, you know, waste the top 35 pick on a tight end. That's going to be, you know, play 20 snaps a game next year. Um, they're just not in a position to do that. I kind of want to hit once, you know, real quickly, obviously the jets are not taking a quarterback, but kind of more of a general draft discussion. I don't, I think we're different on Desmond Ritter. I'm like, not sure where some of the hype, I guess, comes from. Can you kind of walk me through where you're at with Ritter? Because everyone talks about Malik Willis and Pickett. Um, Ritter was kind of like this forgotten guy. And now all of a sudden it's like, he's definitely going round one. And I just, I can't get there. Can, try. I'm, I'm not convinced me, but like, where am I missing with Ritter? I just, I'm not sure I see it. it you got to truthfully ask Austin. Cause he's not, I'm not that high on, uh, like he's Austin's QB one. He's 43rd on the PFF draft board. So, and we like give quarterbacks a bump truthfully. So I, I see him somewhere kind of like in last year's draft class to slot him. He, he would have been closer truthfully to where, you know, Davis Mills and Kyle Trask. On, Kyle Trask. He would have been closer to that range of quarterback to me than the Mac Jones, like than where the fifth quarterback came off the board last year. So I, I just, to me, it's accuracy and, and downfield accuracy being consistent in that area and he doesn't even like attack down the field really like he had one of the best one thing alec pierce could do it is stack corners on the outside run in a straight line and he can't do too much more than that but he rarely hit him like his go balls leave a lot to be desired i was at his pro day in cincinnati and he probably missed about seven throws at a pro day, which is, you know, unheard of for a top quarterback prospect. And how, how I describe him is he's athletic, but he's not an athlete. Like he never like show me a play outside of him running in a straight line where you're like, damn, that, that was, you know, an athlete. Like you see that from how you see that from Malik Willis, you even see that from Kenny Pickett, like the fake slide was an athletic move that he had to do to get out there. But with Desmond Ritter, he's almost like rigid. Like he's an athlete, like Kellen Mond was an athlete. Like he's athletic, like Kellen Mond was. Like Kellen Mond was a, like a, almost a borderline statue back there, but then runs like a four, six. So I don't see that as being an add on to his game outside of, you know, pure zone read runs. So I, uh, I do think he processes at a high level. I do think he can work intermediate level of the football field. And I do think he has some tools to work with, but there's just no high end aspect to his game. And there wasn't on tape at Cincinnati. And uh, 
I just worry about that changing once a guy gets to the NFL. Yeah, I'm on the same page here. And I didn't necessarily hear the the most glowing reviews of uh, some of the interviews and people around the combine of their interactions with him. Uh, I'm not going to get that deep into it, but I just didn't hear them. It wasn't the most pleasant um, for, for some folks. Um, we'll finish up with two things here. Um, obviously, anyone that knows you knows you're a diehard Packers fan. Um, you know, same way I am with the Jets, obviously. And they're in a pretty interesting spot. Um, they like should still be good, really good next year. And they'll probably still win the, you know, the division and depending upon who they get in the draft, like it could really impact them. Do you think they double up a receiver early on, or do you think they're going to do like the classic, like, Oh, it's so obvious draft this guy. And then it's like, wow, this third string tight end and backup running back. We're going to pay. It's going to be awesome. Don't do this to me. Don't do that to me. I, <laughs> I, I still think they, either sign like a Julio Jones or get, get a veteran in the fold somehow. And then they take one wide receiver at some point in the first two rounds may not even be in the first round. They, they might wait to the second round hopefully, and it, and they will at some point in the first two rounds, but I think they'll, they'll, they'll be content with that, with the, with the veteran, with Lazard, with whatever rookie they got with whatever Amari Rogers turns into in year two. And with Randall Cobb, I think they will roll into the season with that because that, and it's just the way they roll, sadly. As much as I hate it, as much as this is the wide receiver class to do it, um, I, I just I think that's how they operate. Yeah, no, it's it'll be interesting. I think, you know, some, a lot of these teams, like, just the Packers are going to look a lot different in in a month. Um, and then, like, like you mentioned, you know, all, there's, like, that stack of Odell, Julio, these guys that will end up in Green Bay, L.A., Tampa, and Tampa, and, and whatever. So mm-hmm. um, final final two, obviously, we kind of hit on this before. You had Lincoln Riley on, you know, on the show. Um, there, I have not heard, like, this much, like, I don't even know if it's bullshit at this point because it's, like, it's almost too good to be true. Um, <laughs> look at how much hype is getting pushed right now out of Spring Bowl and stuff like that. Are you nervous USC is back or you have to see it kind of play out for a year first? Oh, no, I don't have to see that play out. They're, they are definitely back because, I mean, that's just Lincoln Riley. Like he's – it wasn't a fluke what he did at Oklahoma. You know, there's no running through what he did with, you know, new quarterbacks every year and still operating high-level offense. And, shit, the Pac-12 might be worse than the Big 12 in terms of, like, actual – depth of talent at the top so they'll be back they'll be neck and neck with Notre Dame here probably honestly this year so uh yeah I'm not worried I'll say but it will be it will be a little more competitive rivalry now that uh no that's I'm I'm excited um it's been incredibly hard to watch Graham Harrell and uh and Clay Helton fully tank USC's offense and um for anyone that has any doubts about Drake London getting open um, I'd like you to watch how far Keaton Slovis can throw a football because I guarantee you anybody who listens to this pod can throw it just as far. Um, it's not fun to watch and it's, uh, it's pretty bad tape. So, and I was, a, I was the idiot who was like, Oh, his completion percentage was awesome freshman year. He must be really good. Um, Kurt Warner trains him. So, you know, his feet are great, but mm-hmm. um, obviously we kind of, I talked about it a little bit before. Um, if you want to kind of just talk a little bit about what you got coming out with the draft guide, obviously it's incredibly in depth. I mean, Obviously, everyone posts the mock draft simulator stuff and um, the player trade stuff now is cool. But let's talk a little bit about what you got coming up on, you know, tailgate and um, you know, some of the draft guide stuff. Yeah. So the final guide drops on Monday, which will have 200 players and then it will have 
that's actually in the physical PDF guide. And then like attached to that guide, we'll have the final draft board, the mock draft simulator, the uh, position rankings, team pages for all the teams, basically showing how their roster stands, what draft capital they have, what their needs are, some potential fits, scheme fits, that sort of thing. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. How well they drafted, all, all that stuff. So, a lot coming out in the next couple of weeks. And then we'll do, be doing a live draft show on all three days of the draft. I'll be giving analysis for every pick, and it will be a grind, but I cannot wait for April 28th. You guys want to flood Mike's mentions when you don't like the, when he gives the Jets a grade that you don't like? Um, Feel, feel free, free. Uh, P- pff underscore mike no nah, you were pretty high in the jets draft last year you, you know got yeah my boy. We get, so um no make sure you guys are following mike there's a lot of stuff coming out um you know try to try out the pro football focus you know mock draft simulator hutch podcast is dropping draft guy dropping so a lot of great stuff and obviously always appreciate coming on and uh you know we'll have to do a nice usc notre day in my uh you know pod and and basically just talk shit to each other for 20 minutes oh for sure <laughs> sounds good man two What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Turn the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Will Parkinson, at WillPaw11 on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Joined by a special guest today, someone who knows uh, knows the internet's the salary cap probably better than anyone we've had in the show. Maybe outside of Mike Tannenbaum, Brad Spielberger, PFF, PFF underscore Brad on uh, on socials. Brad, how you doing today? I'm doing well. I'll, I'll take the uh, one slot below Tannenbaum. That, that's I think, fair. I think that's fair. I think, you know, we'll give you, I mean, I comped you to an NFL GM. So I think that was, <laughs> I think that's pretty, I think it's pretty good praise, but um, obviously we are kind of in that in-between phase right now of, you know, post wave one and wave two of free agency, you know, there's still some obviously high price veterans out there. Those guys will, you know, obviously sign, you know, post draft and, um, you know, kind of latch onto a contender, but the Jets made um, a pretty high volume of signings, I would say, of starter level players, you know, some other depth pieces as well. Kind of want to get your takeaway on some either, you know, some deals you liked from a value perspective, money perspective, or some val- or deals that you were like, mm, feels a bit rich for, uh, you know, the quality player they got. Yeah, like you said, they did go out and make a lot of moves. You know, I do think Joe Douglas's general philosophy is smart and is not what the Jets previously did, where he's not trying to sign the number one guy at premium positions. He's not chasing edge rushers. I mean, he's not chasing, you know, off-ball linebackers and resetting the market, you know, like C.J. Mosley and and stuff like that. But he is still aggressive and is still making moves. Um, You know, I would say the ones I liked, I like the Jordan Whitehead signing. I like the DJ Reed signing and I like bringing in both tight ends like that. That position group was an issue for the Jets for a couple of years now. And they brought in two guys that frankly can do everything. I think Tyler Conklin is an underrated player. I obviously you know, know him from Minnesota. Um, guy that can do everything that has always made it hard for them to take him off the field. Like they've wanted Herb Smith to be the guy and Conklin just busts his ass and just makes it hard to not play him. And I think that type of guy is huge for the Jets. I, the other side of the spectrum Look, I like the Lakin Tomlinson signing. He is a great player. He obviously has familiarity with LaFleur and the system, playing in that outside zone scheme. But it is interesting when you look back now on how the interior offensive line market shake that, you know, shook, 
whatever word, shook, shaken, shook out in free agency. I mean, he's the biggest deal uh, among guards besides Brandon Sheriff, but you know, a really big deal. I was going to say, we're tossing out the Jag stuff. They ruined yeah, the, the Jaguars entire don't count. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, but yeah, no, like, you know, a, a big deal. So again, a good player, a good signing, but maybe in hindsight, you could step back and say, whoa, you know, you see Austin Corbett and James Daniels and some of these other younger guys going for like eight, $9 million for him to go for 13 plus, you know, maybe a little bit, they expected maybe better deals for other guys. Yeah. So I'm, I'm on the same page as you. I think the Tomlinson deal was one that like, they just cannot afford to have what they've had at right guard um, here for a while. And a lot of the Zach Wilson stuff. Yes. A lot of blames on him, but from pulling the ball, but <laughs> there are some, there are some plays on film of, um, guys of 62 specifically just whiffing on guys and he got on on twitter and you know tried to stand up for himself this week which was pretty funny listed himself as an above average guard um great way to great self-awareness um more importantly though you know the jets it seems like from a contract breakdown perspective and some of the stuff i know you've worked on and things like that a lot of it's either back, a lot of the stuff's backloaded. There's not a lot of, there's guaranteed money, but it's a lot of like the Braxton barriers deal. Like you can get out of after a year. Whitehead's pretty much a one year deal. Um, it's kind of been Joe Douglas's MO to basically give guys three or four years and everything's a one or two year deal. This year, everything's backloaded um, for the most part. Do you have a kind of a theory on why that is? Is it just so they can get that star guy and then they went after Tyreek, or is it because they're just building in what the cap's going to become? Yeah, I mean, Joe Douglas comes from, you know, he spent time in Baltimore, he spent time in Philadelphia, like he's seen a lot of different philosophies, both of those teams generally do, they get big bonuses, but then they backload the rest of the deal. Um, you know, when you're talking about guarantees, that's kind of the structure that he seems to go with as well. Um, the thing I think is interesting and good about him too, is I remember last offseason they were super frugal and they were not only cutting guys, but negotiating pay cuts with guys like Jameson Crowder. And people were saying, oh, but they have so much cap space. That doesn't matter. A guy's value is a guy's value, whether or not you have cap space. And so I think he has made sure to adhere to that and to stick to that notion. Um, and yeah, like you said, I do think the thinking probably was, all right, we need to keep a little bit for potentially making that splash move. It sounded like they had a deal done with Tyreek Hill. Um, you know, I'm sure they're not too pleased with how that played out in the end. Yeah, the the Tyreek the Tyree Hill thing, I've said this in the last you know two pods, it was just so confusing because I've been really harsh on Tyreek about some of the stuff off the field. And then I was like, got caught up in it for a second of like, oh my God, the Jets might trade for Tyreek. That's probably the most explosive guy they've had on the roster in a decade. And then it's like, you kind of circle back to, the Chiefs are pretty well-run organization. They let Tyreek go um, pretty pretty easily, and it came to get in for not as much value as I think, um, you know, many thought. Speaking of kind of the receiver market right now, I think, you know, we're all seeing it. Um, Stephon Diggs gets paid yesterday. Obviously, he was drastically underpaid. I'm sure Cooper Cup will be next of the veteran guys that are on a, technically will be a third contract. Are you surprised at all with the way that teams are kind of um, approaching this kind of receiver market where a lot of guys are getting moved? Diggs is the one guy that's gotten extended right now, obviously. Um, or is it kind of par for the course of where the position's going and, um, you know, how many good guys come through the draft every year? Yeah, it's interesting because there are those competing forces where I do think the market needed an upward adjustment. Um, I mean, first off, you know, the Tyree Kill and Devontae Adams average per years are fake. It's not actually 30 and 28. It's it's about 25 for Tyreek and about 22 and a half for Devontae Adams. It looks like 24 for Diggs, still waiting on the details there. But but nevertheless, like it did need to t take a jump in, 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 to a degree. We've seen edge rusher continue to explode as it always does. And, and receiver has been kind of that third position historically, obviously quarterback in, in a tier of its own. Um, at the same time, though, I do understand why. 
there are some teams balking at those prices and saying, look, the last couple drafts now, and I think a lot of people think this draft as well, you can find guys in the second and third round that can probably start for you in week one and be productive players. And so it's kind of these competing forces. And I, and I do think folks in my line of work sometimes underestimate how contracts can mirror the draft. If it's a weak position in the draft, maybe the guys will get paid more and vice versa. Um, so I'm not surprised that we're hearing about DK Metcalf and hearing about these guys because they're probably asking for 23, 24, you know, plus million dollars per year. If you're the Seahawks already paying Tyler Lockett, don't have a quarterback. Why would you give D, you know, DK Metcalf edge rusher money? Yeah. The Tyler Lockett contract's pretty awful. Um, I think it's one of those, we, we go, Oh, he's 14 million a year. Look at, you know, 15 million a year. Just do a deep dive for two seconds into how money, how much guaranteed money is still on that deal. How much money is, and it's a backloaded deal with guarantees. It's not a backloaded deal where the Robert Woods deal, which was basically like a two-year extension, and they basically can get cut for free next year when he gets traded. Like, the Lockett money is pretty brutal. Um, it's one of those contracts. I think we talk about these other bad contracts. It's, in my opinion at least, it's one of those. For a guy that's five foot ten and, and is going to start to get older here, I, I'm not sure I want to be paying $20, 21000000 million a year. Um, we talk a lot about effective people talk a lot about a cap space and, you know, where people are, uh, the jets have X number of dollars or the bears or, you know, C Seattle's another good example. They have a ton of cap space, but um, the jets have four top 38 picks. Obviously it's, it's been hammered into the ground here for the last 12 months. There's a lot of cap money that goes into those. Um, it's not like these guys are making playing for free. Yes. 35 and 38 are I think around 1.8 or 2 million bucks, but you know, the fourth pick makes like almost $8 million a year in year one, I believe, uh, or something close to that. So can you talk a little bit about like when people talk about cap space versus effective cap space and kind of the difference there, I know what it is, but I don't think everyone quite understands the difference there. Yeah. So first off with effective cap space, I think it, it's before we get into free agency and people also, when they want to look at 2023 and beyond, it's like your team having, you know, a ton of cap space, but only having 20 players on, under contract does not means you don't actually have that much cap space, right? Like you need to spend to fill out the rest of your roster. So um, that's obviously, you know, basically what we mean by effective cap space is if we hypothetically just filled out the rest of the roster with minimum salaries, and obviously it's going to be more than that, um, then what their actual true cap space is. And then you mentioned the draft pool. I mean, as of today with their current rookie pool, the Jets need $13 million in cap space essentially to fill out all these guys. Now I do think not only the veteran trades they've explored, I think is part of that where maybe they say, look, let's go out and spend 35 and 38 on, on DK Metcalf on Tyreek Hill um, and get one guy instead of, you know, multiple contracts. Um, and also, you know, potentially with four and 10, I think they'll probably stay and pick at four, but I think 10, if you get teams like New Orleans, teams like Pittsburgh, like I think they're answering those phone calls for sure. Um, because yeah, like you said, I mean, it falls off a cliff pretty quickly, but those top 10 picks are making good money. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting market, um, you know, for sure. And kind of speaking a little bit more about some of the cap stuff that's going on this offseason, we've seen a lot of Von Miller four for like, or six for 120. And really it's a two year deal or Bobby Wagner's cap number. I think this year, um, I, I may be mistaken. I think it's like $2.5 million yeah, with right. like ridiculous <laughs> amounts of bonuses and all these things. And, um, can you kind of talk a little bit about the way teams are starting to structure these contracts void year? Like, I guess we can start with what a void year is because I think people misunderstand void years versus opt-outs and things of that nature. Um, and then talk a little bit more about kind of just the landscape of the NFL. And um, while you don't really pay attention to the AAV is important in baseball, it's really important in the NBA. 
not so sure it's important in the NFL. I think it's a lot more about, um, you know, what your effective cap number is going to be. Yeah. So, so up front with void years, something that had had a couple teams had been doing in the past, uh, but then with, <laughs> right. With yeah, the saints and Eagles and, and a couple of those clubs, but with the salary cap drop last year, a lot more teams had to, you know, get into that situation. And basically all they are is dummy contract years. They are not actual years, but teams can push out money. They can push bonus money and prorate it into these fake years. And so the cap hit still does hit at the end. It'll all be there and, and accelerate back up to the first void year. But it's just a way to lower cap hits in the front. Um, and then to get to structure, it's unfortunate because I actually think that APY or AAV was a way you could analyze contracts to a degree. Yes, there are, of course, because not everything is guaranteed. It's definitely different than baseball, different than, than the NBA. You more want to look at, in my opinion, you know, first year and third year cash flow is a better way to look at. That's why I said Tyree kills the deals for $25 million because though there is a real year on his the, the fourth year of his deal, it's a $45 million salary. There's literally a 0% chance he plays on that contract year. So for some reason, it's becoming a trend again. It used to be a thing, and they would have these totally inflated deals and report these numbers, and, and it kind of went away to where we, we went back towards shorter contracts that were actually truly valued at what, what they were at, and the cash flows were, you know, what I say is what I try to match up is compare the APY to the cash flow year to year. So, for example, I'll use Devontae Adams, and this is why, you know, I kind of knocked his deal as well. If you see, if you go look at most, you know, of the big contracts, let's say a guy's making 20 million a year, it'll be close to 20 million per year in the cash flows. His deal is it pays out, like I said, 22 and a half the first three years. He then has $36 million salaries in the fourth and fifth year that he's not going to play on. So, yes, like you said, you have to look into the weeds, go into the details to see the actual value of these contracts. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, we've seen it a lot more with veterans. There are these high-priced guys, the Von Millers, Bobby Wagner's of the world. Um, I think Allen Robinson's contract, it's like his cap number, Stafford. Um, we've seen a lot of the quarterbacks, even Mahomes. I think Mahomes' contract, you know, it's a ten. it was 10 for 500, but he's not getting $50 million a year. Um, it averages out to that. But um, one contract, and I mean, you talked a lot about, and I think obviously it was a very talked about contract this offseason. Um, I'm a well-known defender of Aaron Rodgers. Um, I know that's not a popular take in 2022. Um, and I get why people don't like him. I, I get it. Um, that said, that contract was one that the Packers were proverbial cap hell. They are still proverbially in cap hell. It's, they had to move Devontae Adams, um, you know, because if they could have paid him, they would have paid him last year. And this would never have happened. There's a lot of other logistics there, and they, they do a good job with a lot of different things. But Aaron Rodgers' contract is one that's super interesting because it comes out, I think, I get what was it, four for 200 or something in that nature. But it's not really four for 200. It's mostly like a two-year deal that he can kind of retire after um, that deal. I'm sure he could play in the next two years. I don't think those – if I'm not mistaken, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think those are deal – like those years aren't really part of the contract. It's a two-year deal that's really inflated. Um, was that one that was the most interesting to you this offseason, or was there another guy that signed or got traded? We were like, this is so – like you want you can nerd it out with like how they formed uh, the contract. No, that was definitely at the top of the list um, for, for a bunch of different reasons. But, yeah, it, it is essentially a two-year extension on top of a year he had before – 
they kind of wanted to say like we ripped up the old deal and it's just a three-year 50 150 million dollar deal not really how we do it technically he signed a two-year extension for 124 million dollars um which is kind of crazy you know 62 million dollars that's that's how we generally evaluate it that's why for example Xavier howard he'll be listed as getting a two-year 50 million dollar extension and now he's making you know five million more per year than jalen ramsey but that goes back to what we're talking about it's the same issue that caused the deandre hopkins you know so he had three years left on his deal yes he got a two-year extension for 54 million dollars but in reality that's not what the situation was so nevertheless rogers is cool for all those reasons but also he, do, he did try to kind of walk the line of, look, I'm getting paid market rate. I'm the highest paid quarterback, but I do want to make it flexible and amenable for the Packers in terms of cap, you know, maneuvering, but also not having a signing, but just one little, you know, cool, like nerd tweak on contracts. He didn't have a signing bonus and instead had a fully guaranteed roster bonus. And here's why. If he retired early, they could try to recoup and go after some of that signing bonus money because he did a roster bonus. They can't do that. So um, I, as much as he tried to put out on the media that he was helping the Packers, in reality, he got a very, very strong contract that helped Aaron Rodgers more than anyone else. Let's cancel him. Fuck Rodgers. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> obviously, been already? Uh, yeah, obviously, uh, obviously, people don't know Brad's a uh, Brad's a Bears guy. So, um, right, right. <laughs> you know, naturally hates Rodgers anyways. But um, is there a contract this offseason? I know we talked about one that, you know, was either really interesting or one that you liked or one. Or was there one deal that you were like, I just, I don't get it. Like, I, is it, I, mean, I know the Kirk one was the one that everyone kind of jumped all over. But if you actually look, we, as we've talked about for the last 10 minutes here, of just, you know, kind of the way things are structured and um, a lot of his deal is essentially it's a two-year deal that, you know, he's a million incentives. If he's, if he's as good as they want him to be, he'll probably make that money. If not, he won't. Is there any other deals to you that you were like, I just don't get it. Like, <laughs> what are we doing here? Yeah, there was one and never to pick on anyone. And this is a position where we've seen a lot of projection deals because it's a very hard position to kind of play right away. But Will Disley in Seattle, I just don't understand how they thought he needed to get a three-year, $24 million extension. Look, he's a good player. He was good before that ACL tear, um, has been productive. But they trade for Noah Fant, who I think is a very good young tight end, you know, from Denver and the Russell Wilson deal. And look, they can have both tight ends. That's fine. But it just, it just makes, it literally just makes no sense. Like there is no market. There's no way that the open market was going to pay him that money. I just don't really get it. <laughs> yeah. The jets, um, you know, the jets signed Uzama and, um, and Conklin and basically virtually they'll average out to them, make the same this year. And like the Seahawks are paying, they're going to be paying two tight ends, pretty decent money and two safeties top of the market money. The Quandre Diggs deal. I actually really like um, it's just, it's hard when you paying Jamal Adams and then you let DJ Reed walk. It's, it, it's confusing, um, I would say, to say the least, especially when you have all this money from Russell Wilson kind of disappear. Um, it, it's it's tough, obviously. But um, I kind of wanted to get your opinion on – I know you obviously watch Justin Fields up close and, um, you know, all these rookie quarterbacks are super polarizing. But from the outside looking in, as someone that's not, a, <laughs> not up in Zach Wilson stuff, you know, 365 days a year, where are you at with Zach in terms of just like – do you still believe he is the player you thought when he was coming out? Or are you concerned? Like, how's, how's that kind of fall for you? 
I honestly still do think that Zach Wilson could be the guy. Um, and I'll tell you too, this, this past year's combine, I talked with someone, um, an NFL, not a, not a, I won't call it executive, but a, a high level scout who said he has the best arm talent he's ever seen. And this guy's been working in the NFL for 20 some odd years. So, you know, just the ability to throw at every different arm angle to throw off platform, rolling left, rolling right, kind of doing all these things. And so, my thing is, I thought he was going to have a tough adjustment period. I mean, you watch those BYU games. He had a seven-second pocket. Like, like yeah, the best offensive to, line in college football. Right. I mean, yeah, I got Brady Christensen had like a 98 grade for us at left <laughs> tackle that last year. Yeah, so it was just like, I, I didn't think it was going to be easy. And then you mentioned there was some rotten play along the offensive line at times. A little uh, a double entendre there for you. <laughs> um, and, yeah, so, like, I, I just – I don't see why you put on him. I also – I think now with where they're at, it, it, you get the tight ends. You have Elijah Moore in his second season. Corey Davis gets healthy, all these things. Like, now let's look at him. Now let's evaluate him. Let's see where it's at. Um, so, yeah, I have not lost any faith. I thought he was going to have a tough rookie year, and he did, but he also still made some pretty special throws at times. Yeah, no, it, this stuff is actually really interesting because I think we've – I think people that are around the Jets have glossed over how poor he was last year, but at the same time, you also recognize – there were so many different factors going on. If you thought he wasn't going to have an adjustment period coming from BYU where, yes, it's not necessarily level of competition. I don't like using that as much anymore, but it's the speed of the game is different and your athleticism and your arm strength and all that stuff. Well, that's great to hear. And I think Zach has a super special arm. I think you still have to adjust. I think Justin Fields, um, I had Quincy Aver on this podcast and he was like, I don't think Justin should be starting right now. And like, Justin was his guy. And he was like, if you can't, you know, look at protections and you're going to get yourself killed. Um, and while Justin made a lot of really cool plays and Trevor Lawrence had some special throws, all these guys, I mean, that quarterback class, all of those guys are going one this year, no question about it. Um, so it, it's right. super interesting. Two more things we'll kind of finish up with here. Um, one prospect that you're super high on that you've kind of talked with people about, or you just have, you're really intrigued to kind of see where they go um, that you feel like people aren't talking about enough. And one on the other side where everyone's talking about this guy and you're just like, I don't get it. <laughs> like, I'm not sure why they're this high. Yeah. I mean, I, it's probably a bad choice. Cause he like gets mocked in first round sometime, but, and I also have an sec bias, but Kyrie Elam is my cornerback three in this class. Uh, I think he's right after sauce and, and Stingley. He's the next guy for me. I get why McDuffie gets a lot of love, but his measurements and his testing were, were not particularly strong. Um, you know, short arms at corner always kind of scares me. Um, but yeah, I, I, again, like I said, it's not, not exactly like a sleeper. He's like a, you know, I'll give a better sleeper, I guess. I And this is a recent one I just watched recently. Someone told me to. Max Mitchell, the tackle at Louisiana. Um, I think he's a stud. I think he could be a good player. Um, so I'll go for those two for the, for the players that I maybe like more than consensus. Again, neither of those are like needles in a haystack. I'm, I'm not going to pretend I'm some like, Super deep draft analyst. Um, as for guys, I don't really get. It's a good question. Uh, I'll me, tell you this one. Walker, I, Walker is the one that I just I I I get why people love him, but like, dude, he has not been the best player in this draft, and going one is insane. It's funny. I think it, with him, it's like Rashawn. If Rashawn Gary had a bad year last year, like I don't know if he's in the, but like it like it's the same thing to me. Where it's just like people are like making that and it's fair like his testing was insane he obviously is a crazy athlete I, I hear you there I, I guess I thought of one that like and this might scare Jets fans I think he's I get why the hype is there I think he's a good player but for me Drake London if your calling card is that you're a contested catch receiver that's a red flag to me it's not a good thing that means you don't separate very well and look he is like one of the best contested like it's insane like the guy can literally jump over anyone but it's just like 
that to me, if that's what you're known for, I don't want to use a top 10 pick on that. Yeah, so we disagree on Drake, but I'm biased. I'm a USC fan. I've said I always clarify every USC guy with this that I'm biased towards them. Um, and it's not even it's like Mike Renner's biased towards Kyle Hamilton, and I don't blame him for a second. <laughs> I would be too, right? So um, no, I love Kyrie Elam, his W drill and his T step and things like that, where like it is pro day. I haven't seen anyone better, you know, this draft process and that just, he needs to tackle better, but I think that's sometimes technique that you can be taught. Um yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. I said Walker's one. Um, I think all the quarterbacks are pretty bad um, and are not first-round guys. And I think we are people that are quarterback gurus, quote-unquote, um, especially on social media, love to, you know, only point out the good stuff with Malik Willis and with Kenny Pickett and these things. But I watched Kenny Pickett at the Senior Bowl, and I watched Malik Willis and all these guys, and wasn't not sure they're not much better than any of the 32 starters in football, at least next year. Maybe they will be. Malik's got special traits, and Pickett's got a high floor, but – I would uh, I'd put that a bit on pause. Last question. We kind of did this with Zach. Fields, you still you still uh, still as high on him, or are you getting a little – you were a little nervous? I know the situation's not great. Obviously, Matt Nagy is not exactly a quarterback guru like we all thought. Well, yeah, before. so it's, it's not only the coaching – and it is 100% first with the coaching staff. I mean, to, to literally – to see Andy Dalton, Nick Foles, and Justin Fields all have the same game plan. Like, right away, you're like, how is that even possible? Like, running the exact same stuff, you have Fields at a shotgun 80% of the time and, and like, not using his legs, not rolling him out, making him a pocket passer, which he can be. But, no, so it's that. But also, you mentioned the the cerebral stuff at the line. Sam Mustafer, no offense to the guy, undrafted free agent at Notre Dame. Sorry, Mike. Well, probably the worst center, maybe the worst offensive lineman in football last year. And so you have a sophomore center who who also like played guard in college. Like he, what he's supposed to help Justin Fields under center, and he's supposed to be calling out who the mic is and, and and all this shit. Like that makes no sense to me. So I am still a believer. There are plenty of things to clean up in his game. I'll say this: his biggest issue was holding on to the ball way too long. You know, over three sets, and it, it started to go away at the end of the year. You watch the Steelers tape. You watch some other games. There was less of that. He was getting the ball out faster, just finding his hot, like just doing things that you could just. T- Here's the thing. And you know this is a Darnold guy before. As a Trubisky guy, he would make the same mistakes over and over and over and over again. And so even though he was like, you know, he was an athlete, like Fields stopped making some of the same mistakes. And so that's why I still have faith because you saw growth as the season went on. I've, I, if I saw Sam throw one more interception on cover two in the red zone on a corner route, I was going to literally blow my brains out. And I'm the, I was the big, that's Sam's my biggest draft. Miss I was like, you're a USC guy. Yeah. So. He's my biggest, <laughs> mi- I mean, dude, it's the coolest thing of all time. USC jets. I was at like, I was in college still. It was awesome. And then obviously I uh, held on a little too long to that one shout out to Sam today, talking about losing his, his ID on the, uh, his sophomore season before the Rose bowl throws for 500 yards, five touchdowns has to go to a house party. Should have known then it was, uh, it was going to be cooked for him in New York. And um, no, but obviously, you know, appreciate you coming on Brad's uh, you know, socials, PFF underscore Brad, um, you know, all the stuff he's got going on with PFF, you know, obviously the over the cap stuff and um, you know, mock draft simulator is fantastic. Um, I think it's the best one. I, I think everyone kind of uses it pretty generally speaking here and, um, being able to trade players now and things like that, I think is something that's really, um, it's made it kind of fun. Obviously some of the, you know, people, a lot of Jets fans have been crazy with the AJ Brown DK stuff, but, um, <laughs> you can't, you can't fault people for, uh, getting excited. No, you cannot. I appreciate it, man. Thanks, man. Uh...